It's time for The Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's The Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Well, good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Maybe you're listening on 100.3 FM, maybe you're listening on the app, maybe you're listening online, WROLradio.com, all kinds of ways. You can always find previous programs on my podcast site, which is johnfpaul.podbean.com, or you can find it on iHeartRadio and whatever Apple's calling their podcast sites thing now i don't think it's itunes anymore they kind of did away with that name but uh and you can stitcher and tune in and all those different kinds of places and you can uh you know find past programs which is always which uh might be fun to do sometimes if you missed a program and you want to find out something about uh um you know like cars her way uh, a woman from last week uh or uh matt from uh from cars.com talking about that ultimate dad car that mercedes amg wagon you know nothing like that i was just looking through some automotive headlines and uh apparently there's a bit of a competition now between the uh ram 3500 high output with the cummings diesel in it versus the chevrolet silverado with the uh the same four by four dual rear wheel uh one is uh uh, I don't know, 400 horsepower and 1,000 foot-pounds of torque, and the other one's a little more horsepower and still ridiculous amounts of torque. And, you know, they say 0 to 60 in 6 seconds, and the other one says 0 to 60 in a little bit quicker. And uh, Does anyone really care how fast you go 0 to 60 in a dually pickup truck? But maybe one guy who might is our buddy Junior D'Amato. Junior, good morning. Well, good morning. Hey, so I was just reading a, a little competition, apparently, between the all-new Ram 3500 and the all-new Silver, Silverado with the big diesel in it, and everybody's all concerned about 0 to 60 times in a dually uh, uh, pickup truck, diesel pickup truck. Do you think anyone really cares? I don't think so, Uncle Ron, and uh, the big thing about the Dodge car of Dodge truck versus the GM is one's got a really big, bad, bad V8 that doesn't have the power of the little uh, Dodge 6.7 six-cylinder, and um, it's much simpler to work on with the Dodge. The, yeah. Uh, I, I own a Dodge, and uh, we've got 106 grand on it, and I knew you were going to ask something about that, so I just did that. Thank you. I just did a little curious uh, checking yesterday on pricing for the engine when it self-destructs. It's only nineteen grand for a complete motor for one of these trucks when it does completely, uh, you know, destruct itself, which I thought was uh, pretty reasonable compared to the price of a Chevrolet, uh, the V8, even the Ford V8 diesels. Uh, the Cummings motor or engine has been around for many, many years. Yeah, they've had the oil pump issues at a hundred over the past few years, and they've had a few little EGR problems, but nowhere near what the problems we've seen with the V8 motors. Yeah, it, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing what you know what they're doing with some of these trucks. And the thing about the thirty five hundred, uh, that's a pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing vehicle to drive. It. I I was surprised. You know, when we had one down at the New England Motor Press meeting, how smooth that truck rode for a truck as big as it was and as heavy duty as it was. 
Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, I asked uh, my little uh, wife to take a ride the other day. We had to go and uh, do a few errands and pick up some heavy material. I said, let's jump on the ramp truck and go. She says, really? I says, yeah, it's got a sidestep. It's got a old help me handle in. And she says, wow, this is really pretty nice. The only thing I don't love about my Dodge truck is it doesn't have the uh, the big connect right when it's got the regular little you know screen. Doesn't have the mini computer in it. But other than that, uh, I really enjoy the heck out of it. Well, that's 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 good. Hey, I mean, there's some big news, and one of my coworkers heard you on the radio the other day after 55 years. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're saying goodbye to Hyde Park. Yeah, it's a really bittersweet. And uh, BZ put it on yesterday. Uh, from 5.30 to probably 3 o'clock, uh, we fielded over 100 phone calls uh, from people all the way from Connecticut uh, to, uh, to Maine that, um, you know, were our clients over the years and have moved away. And uh, it was amazing. They said it's not going to be the same, as well as, uh, you know, a lot of uh, city people showed up yesterday to say hello and goodbye. Yeah, I, yeah, it must have been it must have been uh, pretty emotional for you and the guys. I mean, your 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 guys have been with you for a long time, thirty plus years anyway. Yeah. And uh, the the reason why I had to give it up, John, is because of the drive. Hour and a half each way at uh, five o'clock in the morning or quarter or five in the morning. Coming home at night doesn't make it. Here I am in Middleborough now, uh, trying to organize the place. Uh, Carl and I were here this morning at six a.m. Uh, trying to move stuff around and do what we need to do. And that uh, brand new addition with about twelve or fourteen lifts has gotten real small real quick. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's just it. It's not like you're going out of business. You just you just moved everything down to your your other location in Middleborough where you'll. Uh, Will you uh, continue to do the good work that you always do? And your guy and your guys are all coming with you, right? Yeah, all the guys are coming down, and uh, it should be fully staffed on Wednesday because we've got Monday and Tuesday <clears throat> to remove all the toolboxes and uh, a few uh, items of that. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll be ready to roll. Uh, Richie and Bobby to uh, get involved really deeply with the uh, move, and we got, like I said, big truck is in there now. And we've got the ramp, and we've got another pickup, so we uh, we are pretty good. Plus, we got a little Ford uh, Ranger pickup, a brand new one that I felt well, so guilty putting stuff in the you know putting junk in the back because it is a brand new uh, truck. Well, let's talk about that. I haven't driven a new Ranger truck. I remember the Ranger trucks when they first came out. They were little, they were little tiny trucks. Some of them had four cylinders in them. Some of them had a pretty questionable v6 in them uh, i swear the four-cylinder engine they took it out of a pinto and put it in it wasn't maybe it wasn't the best four-cylinder back then and mm-hmm. but over the years they kind of grew up a little bit and then they had that ranger splash edition the one with the style side bed and the, yep. uh, the step side bed with the a little bit nicer v6 in it and it was a little bit more roomy inside you could sit inside and be pretty comfortable and they turned out to be pretty good trucks, but the new Ranger, and I've only seen one out on the road, um, looks almost as big as an F-150. Yeah, you know what? There you go. Remember the little Toyota Corolla? Yep. Remember how small that was? Yeah, Now and then it became, the new Corolla <laughs> became the size of a Camry, yeah. All right, well, the little Ranger uh, has become the size of, like, what you just said, basically uh, a small downsize 150, minimally downsized. But talk about that four-cylinder engine that's used globally in uh, a tremendous amount of vehicles, including uh, Jaguars, Land Rovers, and some of the other car companies. It's, they're using that same style four-cylinder engine, put a turbo on it. What Ford did with this one here, they put a turbo on it, and 
every piece of hosing for the turbo and the fuel management system has insulation, just like you know, just like a race car. So it's going to keep the heat down. It's going to be very, very, uh, very minor amounts of heat dissipating. And again, a lot of the underhood temperatures that get very, very warm are not going to penetrate the induction system for the turbocharger. So they did a real nice job. Combine that with a bulletproof 10-speed automatic. The truck is amazing. Uh, this is the 10-speed that GM and Ford, some of the other companies have designed and developed. I like the 9-speed quarter in the Dodge Dart. This transmission is absolutely great with all ten speeds working as it needs to. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it it is it is a pretty interesting design that how they all came together, and uh, like you said, the 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 engine is a powerful engine. It's you know people might go oh a four cylinder how how good can that be? But really good. You know, speaking of turbochargers, you, you know way back when you'd add a turbocharger to a car, and I don't care if it was a you know, a Mustang or, or, you know, Ford had the Thunderbird with the turbo in it. And, yep. uh, you know, after 40 or 50,000 miles, the engines was the engines were pretty tired because that turbo, that extra pressure the turbo put on, you know, wore those engines out. How are you finding the, the new turbocharged engines are holding up uh, when you start to see 100 and 150,000 miles on them? Uh, great, great question. We service and we put in quite a few turbos down here in uh, Middleborough because of the highway. And the only car we've had some trouble with has been a couple of Subarus. And uh, one of my clients, in fact, the electrician, is out back now working in a place. He says, well, I can get a turbo for half the money. I says, don't do it. So we did it. We put it yeah. in. It made it a mile. Calls a a couple mile? Of we'll just, yeah, made it a mile. We'll give you another one. This one made it three miles. And then he says, I'm done. I says, well, look, at the money you spent changing the turbos around, you saved 50%, which he did. I says, it cost you more than double than that to iron out the turbos and send them back. He says, well, now I'm just going to get another car. So we bought a Toyota. He gave up on it. But, you know, you cannot deviate from uh, the factory stuff when it comes to, like, turbos unless you send it out and get it rebuilt by uh, a company out in California. That's what they do. They do a job rebuilding turbos. And it's almost as much money to have it rebuilt as it is to buy a new one. The difference with the rebuilding job, uh, and we've done many of these on the uh, Typhoons and the uh, the little other cars that Chevrolet had with the, uh, the Cyclones yeah. that and GMC, is that when they rebuild it, they rebuild it to be beyond the factory specs. It just is absolutely amazing what they do. Mm. Um, now, as far as any other cars, Johnny, no problem with turbos. Uh, not, we have a few problems with the superchargers, like the Cadillac, the, uh, the goosenecks were going bad on them, or the snuds were going bad, and there were other big, expensive warranty in the campaign. But you can buy uh, a variety of different superchargers uh, at summitracing.com or any of the other companies. Put it on there. The big difference now, John, is fuel management. And to load the computer up to change the program, just unplug the little ALDL connector cover, plug it in, follow the directions. There's no more going wacko. You just load it right there and there, and they rewrite the program so you're rich enough. They back the timing back down, and it's absolutely a great project for, like, a father and son to do a long weekend or take a week and do it in your backyard or in the garage in the summertime. You'll get anything from 90 to 140 horsepower. And uh, just like just like that, I mean, that's uh, you know, in a lot of cases, that's thirty 
30% horsepower kick in a car. And when you do those kind of numbers, you, you notice a real difference. And like you said, when it comes time to open in the hood, and all of a sudden now you got something to, something a little special under the hood to look at. So kind yeah. of fun kind of fun stuff. And every once in a while I hear somebody say, you know, uh, you know, people just don't care about cars anymore. Nobody cares about performance. And I just read... Uh, I just read the other day that Ford's coming out with a crazy Mustang, uh, a, a new Shelby that's going to be uh, the most powerful V8 engine ever made. Well, I didn't hear that, but I don't know if Ford and Shelby will do it. I would think Ford will make it and Shelby will uh, take and uh, they will massage it out in uh, Nevada. Uh, yeah. But there's also uh, a scuttlebutt going around about the new Dodge Angel, which is going to be a Dodge Charger four-door that is going to be somewhere around 500 pounds less than a Challenger, and the, the number on the horsepower is 1,000. Well, you know, I, nothing, I, I, I was just, I just pulled this up. It's, uh, it's a 2020 Mustang Shelby GT500. It yeah. says it's the most power-dense supercharged production V8 engine. It says it's going to be 760 horsepower, 625-pound uh, foot-pounds of torque. It's the most powerful street-legal Ford ever and the most power and torque-dense supercharger production V8 in the world. In the well, that might be so. very good. How does that yeah. compare to the uh, Red Eye or the Demon? The Demon yeah. was 840, but that was a limited production car. So we don't know. About that. Now, the big problem with that, John, how do you put that power to the ground? Well, that's that's just it. Anybody who uh, you know who, who's had a vehicle that makes that kind of horsepower, they start to realize really quick that tires are so important, suspension so important. You know, it, it, you know, having having 600 horsepower that melts the tires every time you lean on the gas pedal, you don't go anywhere that way. Really, one of our press cars we had on the side of the window. I think it might have been a special Toyota. It said red. Uh, expect tire life. Uh, Twelve to fifteen thousand max, and I'm sure those tires were only what fifty or sixty dollars a piece, right? Uh, the average tire for that, if you're looking at anywhere from four to seven hundred dollars. Yeah, what a what a Both great tires. deal! What a great deal that is. Hey, uh, in the in the shop these days, what what kind of uh, you know, is there is there anything you're seeing on a regular basis that people just aren't taking care of? I mean, you look at, you know, engine cooling, people leaving it, they just kind of forget about it sometimes. You know, used to used to be at least when radiator hoses went bad, people got cooling changes, but now radiator hoses are lasting 10 years. Yeah, oh, 10 plus, you know. Uh, we could talk about the cooling job, but you ready for this? That doesn't bother me. You are really, you know, right up my backside when you get a car coming in and have a little tick in the motor and there's no oil in the car. So that's the number one major problem we see here from friends at AAA towing cars off 95 because we're a AAA approved repair facility, and um, you have no idea how many of these vehicles come in, and uh, they lost the timing chain. They lost uh, some of the valving because of uh, lack of oil, because of dirty oil, and it's just incredible what we see every every day. Uh, water pumps, uh, a few. Okay. What we've seen on Toyota Prius is that we've seen the electric water pumps uh, going bad on a lot of those cars. But um, other than coolant changes, people, I don't need to do that. It's fine. I get plenty of heat. It looks good. I said, yeah, it looks good. But the the amount of electricity inside of that electromagnetic current that is in there, uh, electrolysis builds up. You don't see it. But yeah. No, you're it is what it is. 
you're right. When you look at cars that uh, that the manufacturer says, oh, 7,500 between oil changes, 10,000 between oil changes, that's, you know, that might be all well and good. But on the other hand, if you never open the hood and check the oil and, and it's an average car that's burning a quarter oil every 1,500 miles, you go, you, all of a sudden you go 4,000 miles and you're down, you're down three quarts of oil. Exactly. And, you know, you need a little bit more than that to keep that engine uh, going. And you have to look at now uh, how hot the engines are running now. They're running very hot, and they're running very lean. It's like going to Jenny Craig every day, every morning, uh, starting exercise routine and Jenny Craig together now with these vehicles because they're running so lean, uh, they're not uh, wasting any fuel at all. And uh, in some cases, it actually might be a little bit too lean. And people need to understand what's going on with these vehicles. I mean, a little bit of maintenance is, uh, you know, something that needs to be done. On the other hand is uh, I see all these oil change certificates people bring me in all the time, and they'll go and they'll get uh, to their favorite dealership and get the oil change, and then they get that free, free multi-point, you know, inspection. And uh, just about every car that I see has a CV joint axle leak and grease as uh other things that need to be attended to, engine oil pan leaking. I mean, we're seeing cars with 65 or 70,000 miles, a minimal amount of seepage that will probably go another 100,000 without spending money. So my advice to the listeners is to just get a second opinion. Yeah, it it absolutely true, and and I kind of got criticized a week or two ago in one of the columns I wrote, and somebody asked about uh, quick oil change places, and I said, you know, one of the things about quick oil change places is, first off, the sign out front that says help wanted, no experience necessary, you know, that kind of bothers me, yeah. and then the other thing is when you go into a shop like yours, and even if you have the most... Um, you know, the, the guy with the least amount of experience changing the oil, you come over and look at the car. Richie comes over and looks at the car. Bobby comes over and looks at the car. Somebody comes over and looks at the car, looks it over, and looks for things that go wrong. Some of these quick oil change places, they go in, they do the oil change, and, you know, I saw one, the entire bottom of the car was all rotted out. Nobody mentioned anything to the person that owned it. They brought it into another shop to look at it, and when they put it up in the air, they put it back down and said, you know, we don't want to put it on the lift because we're afraid it's going to break in half. And they're like, I just had this in for an oil change too weeks ago nobody ever mentioned anything yeah you know the other really sad thing is everybody wants to sell cabin and air filters they want to do the coolant flush they want to do this they want to do that you know what a lot of that stuff it does not need to be done and we see a lot of check engine lights after the oil changes were done oops we forgot to plug the sensor and we never bolted the uh, air filter cover back on uh, i know on some of the nissan products john you put an aftermarket air filter in a nissan uh this this so lean that it could set a check engine light yeah, it, it, it really it really is, and I I know uh, I think it's the uh, to, the older Toyota Highlanders. You put an air filter in it, and there's a vacuum hose on the back of, back cover of the the air filter housing, and they always knocked it off at the quick oil change places. They go have the uh, the air filter put in, and a check engine light comes on, and you go, and they look at it and go, oh, we don't know, and then you go and you they they go, oh yeah yeah, you had an air filter put in, and they didn't hook that back up, and now and depending where you go, they're going to charge they're going to charge you to look at it, and 
yeah. you know, and, and the idea that when you go to a shop like yours, and if I come in and you go, hey, John, I know you want a car that, you know, you want your car to be pretty dependable. It doesn't have to be the, in perfect condition, so we'll do this. Where somebody else might come in and go, the car has to be perfect 100% all the time, or else it might be the customer that comes in that you know just doesn't have a lot of money to spend on the car, and you're just trying to make it safe. And you don't get that when you have when you go to these uh, you know, quickie places. Yeah, you remember, me remember Dick Valentine? Oh, yeah. Mr. RJ, that gentleman, I still talk to him occasionally, great guy. He ran all the Jiffy moves around here, and, uh, you know, I worked for him as well. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, doing a lot of stuff with him, and uh, great, great people, his wife Penny, and everybody that worked at uh, Paul Jakes, and he did not try to push any kind of BS in plain English. Get the car done. Give the customer a list of what they should get done. If they want us to do it, we can do it anytime. But he never jerked people around. He was a straight shooter uh, in every way, shape, or form. Some of the other ones, unfortunately, are not so straight. Some of the franchises. Yeah, I know it. It's and it kind of gives the whole industry a little bit of a bad name. And and you know, it's it's an industry that I always you know felt good about and when i hear when i hear that somebody gets taken advantage of it bothers me i was just at in uh it was a it was out in uh the framingham area it was uh the, it was a group of uh attorney general's office basically the volunteers that answer the phone when people have complaints and yeah. unfortunately and unfortunately car repair and car sales are still right at the top of the list only followed by home repair so yeah, and I kind of looked at it and I said, I said to him, you know, what, yeah. uh, what do you find and what do you do? And you know, I think about you know your shop and other AAA approved auto repair shops, and it's like, you know, I, I you know, I know these people can be trusted, and you know, I don't, you know, go to some place where you where where you can trust the trust the shop has a good warranty, and you know they're going to put in the right parts, and yeah, and parts are so important. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of really cheap parts that all you're going to do you're going to get nothing in return from it you know use the right parts and use the factory parts sometimes if you have to right the factory parts sometimes are much less than the aftermarket parts number one some of the chinese parts that are out there are just absolutely junk and uh, getting back to a triple a approved facility not every shop can be that triple um, a is a very very strict principle like we were in school uh, they want everything. They contact uh, people that are in the uh, shop. That repairs have been done. Um, they are not really. They're not. Put it this way. They're not the easiest people when it comes to uh, having a an assessment done of a shop. So you can hang that sign up. And they're very, very uh, precious about their signs. So for people that want to go to a shop that you know, I would say 99.999 percent, they're going to get the thing done properly, whatever it is, whether it's an oil change or a, a major problem repaired, uh, you really, uh, you, you, can, you can't go wrong. You really can't. Yeah, if it, you have a problem, you call AAA. You call AAA, we, we get involved, we send somebody we out, we, we send Brad or Richard in Massachusetts out, and and you just go out and go out and get it done. So uh, uh, so you get, you get uh, some... Pretty exciting things going on. When people yep. call, when people call the old phone number, is it going to ring down at the new place so uh, they can? It's going to ring. It's going to ring more than likely at the new place here or on my cell phone. 
Oh, there you go. There you go. So, yeah. so people people aren't going to lose you, and, and uh, no. you know your your new shop is uh, uh, your new shop. You know, prior to you adding this big addition on the back of it, it was a full service shop, full inspection facilities, and uh, you know, right right down to you know, you could bring you could bring your uh, your big truck down there to get inspected, right? You can bring, you, we can, if a truck comes in, the car comes in to be towed, they go in one door, drop and go back out the next door. Yep. And we went from four base to eight base, now to about 30 base. There you go. And like a, and for the people that are doing, uh, that, are, that are Uber and Lyft drivers, there's a new inspection for those guys that, that uh, has to get done too, right? Yeah, they have to uh, make sure the vehicle is, it's called a TNT inspection, they got to make sure the vehicle is in uh, good shape, all the lights work, John, and there's no junk in the trunk. Yeah, and so that... junk in the back seat. That's really <laughs> yeah, amazing. Does. Yeah, and so that's and that's something that you guys do down there as well. And yeah, and I think, I think most of all the shops do that now. Yeah, I would hope yes, they do. Yeah, so and that's that's going to be that's uh, you know that's something, but it's something that uh, these Uber and Lyft drivers hopefully they know about. But if they don't, uh, when somebody comes in and they have that Uber or Lyft sticker on their car, you guys can say, hey, look, you know, part of the rate we want it, you know, and I guess the, the I guess the R and V wants to have it eventually roll in to time up with the uh, with the regular state inspection on the car. So. So, yeah, we know, do a lot of those in High Park yeah. because it's, uh, you know, everybody, there's so many Lyft drivers. That's the one complaint. Lyft and, Lyft and Uber drivers, they're all complaining that there's too many of us out there doing the job. Hey, one other thing, Johnny, coming up, uh, I believe it may be Monday of next week, uh, down here in Middleborough in the center, uh, not the center, but at a place called Lorenzo's, the Italian restaurant, they're starting their Monday night uh, or Tuesday night, whatever it is, uh, car club meetings and all that stuff. There's a big car show coming up. It could be within the next couple of weeks. So anybody that's interested may want to look for car shows in Middleborough. Um, usually the one at Lorenzo's is a really big deal. Plenty of free parking and they get judges and all that kind of stuff. So anybody has an interest in these old cars, you can see the old car legends have not died. Yeah. So, uh, so when's the big car show at Junior's Automotive in Middleborough? Uh, we'll have something happening sometime, probably either August or September. There will be a, a big type of grand opening type deal, and uh, we'll have the hot guy out there with the hot dogs and all that stuff. There you go. There you go. We'll have to. We'll have to look forward to seeing that. Hey, I know you got a busy day for you. You got. To, you got. To, you got to get organized and. Uh, yep. You know. Uh, it, you know. And it, and you know, college probably standing behind you, telling you where to put stuff. So. Oh, John. You never stand behind. She stands out in front. Stands out in front. And remember one thing, John, behind every successful man, right? What do you have? Mm-hmm. A fabulous woman. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Hey, what's the phone number of Middleborough so people can know how to get a hold of you? 508-946-2227. Sounds like it's triple A something. I, I, I guess uh, it's, I, guess I, I don't know, but yeah, you know what would be a good stuff. year? Come sometime in the fall, get John down here with all his stuff, and uh, do a remote and the people from AAA to get involved. Uh, we will give a car care clinic that Saturday. There you go. Say, we'll, say, uh, we'll, I will yeah, do we'll, that for you. We'll have, to, we'll have to plan it out. Hey, Junior, uh, uh, take care. Take care. Congratulations, and, uh, and uh, good luck with all the moving, and I'll, we'll talk to you soon. Have a happy day, John. Say, hi, right. say hello to the missus. I will. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Junior D'Amato. Junior D'Amato's been one of our AAA-approved auto repair shops for uh, since I was involved with AAA-approved auto repair. When uh, I think the first time, 
it was it was kind of funny. He he, uh, you know, going back to when I first started to do a little bit of radio, I knew him through AAA, and he had uh, he he was on a variety of stations, including you know five ninety when before five ninety was part of uh, Salem, and it was a cluster of I think it was. 590, 850, and something else were all together. And, uh, you know, I, I said to him, I, you know, I don't I don't really want to do radio. And I, I went in and did his show a couple of times in Boston. And at the time, he was also syndicated on a network. And I went down to his house and actually did the show down there. And uh, he's the one who actually said to me, well, if being on the radio is going to be part of your job, that's going to be part of your job. You just got to figure out how to do it, and that's what we did. And I don't, I, you know, I still don't know if I do it any better now than I did before, but I keep trying. Hey, we need to take a break, pay some bills, but before we do, if you know anybody who uh, wants to be in the upholstery business, Upholstery by Michael, they're located right on Willard Street in Quincy. They're growing, and if you have any experience in in upholstery, industrial sewing, furniture making, maybe a furniture assembler, or even, uh, you know, somebody with a carpentry background that wants to get away from the heavy part of doing carpentry work, uh, Michael over at uh, Michael's Upholstery would love to talk to you. They have, uh, you know, great wages, uh, depending on, you know, what you do. They have the opportunity to grow. Visit upholsterybymichael.com or give them a call at 508 508- Five two four zero eight five seven five zero eight five two four zero eight five seven. You know, you watch people do upholstery, and it is um, there's an art to it, and you have to be, you have to know how to fold the stuff, you have to know how to make it all work, you have to, and when it's all done, it has to be comfortable. So whether you're taking an old chair or couch or or you know fancy piece of antique furniture and a you know, putting the upholstery on it and making it look good again. It still has to be comfortable when you're done. And I know I was talking to an upholstery guy, and they were talking about the different kinds of foam that are used now, different densities. They use them in different parts. And, uh, you know, somebody somebody who knows what they're doing in this business is, is just a great person to deal with. So Upholstery by Michael is the name. They're looking to expand. They're looking to do a little bit more. They're looking to bring some new people on board. Give them a call at 508-524-0857, 508-524-0857, upholsterybymichael.com. Why don't we take a break? You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617 617- 770 And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Well, I was looking through, and this is where the Internet maybe doesn't tell the whole story sometimes. 
I was looking through something that said the five best performance sealants for car enthusiasts. And last week I talked about a company that, uh, uh, company's 303, and they sent me a bottle of a um, interesting type of spray-on wax. And, you know, if you wax your car or not, Dennis, not me, sometimes other people all the time. Uh, this is kind of an interesting product because you sprayed it on, you washed it off, and it was, and it and it sort of sealed the paint, and it was I, I I, and I liked the way it worked. But it said five best high performance sealants for car enthusiasts, and the one that was rated number one was Mirror Shine by something called Torque Detail, and it said designed as a wax replacement, it blew us away in effectiveness. Our favorite sealant by far. And then it went on to look at a bunch of other ones as well, and uh, honestly, nowhere on here was the uh, was the uh, the one that I looked at. But they looked at Meguiar's and Chemical Guys and Top Coat. Um, and then I looked real close, and it said it's an advertorial for Torque Detail. So the one that was rated number one, interestingly enough, happened to be the person that bought the ad. So, again, don't always believe everything you see, I guess, is what it is. And, it, uh, you know, be a little careful about that stuff uh, because sometimes it may not be exactly what you think it should be. You know, we talked with Junior about this uh, crazy new Ford Mustang. Uh, well, apparently uh, at the uh, Greenwood Festival of Speed, uh, I mean Goodwood Festival of Speed, um, there is going to be an all-electric Mustang. So they're gonna sh they're gonna show a new Mustang, and it's gonna be electric. I don't know. Apparently, they're gonna build about five hundred of them. They're gonna cost stupid money. Um, our phone number six one seven. By stupid money, I mean three hundred eighty thousand uh, dollars. But anyway, uh, our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Before we go to, I believe it's Bill. I just have a I have a. Question for you, Dennis. Are you a Batman fan? I love Batman. I am Batman. Okay. How about the original, like, 1960s Batman? Oh, I love it. It's campy. It. It's great. Yeah. Um, Ernie Bach just bought a Batmobile, a recreation of the original 1965 Batmobile. It shoots flames out of the back. It has the parachutes. And apparently it cost him a quarter of a million dollars. Nice. You know who else has one that I just saw? Um, what's his name? Oh, the the ventriloquist guy. Um, the guy with Peanut and... Oh, what the heck is his know. name? I oh. don't know. But he's got a Batmobile too. Yeah, he drives it He drives it in Hollywood all the time. Uh, well, I guess this is the one of the... You know, according to what I heard Ernie talking about, one of the best ones that's ever been built, of course. And, you know, but a quarter of a million dollars for the Batmobile. Awesome. Yeah, there <laughs> I have you to go. see it. There you go. Where are we going? Uh, you say Bill? Bill. All right, let's go there. Let's talk to Bill. Good morning, Bill. What? A Batmobile? Hey, Bill, turn your hey, radio Bill, down. Turn your radio down. Yes. There we go. That's cool. Okay. All right. All right. Got a 2002 Buick Century 3.1. Uh, about two months ago, got into an accident. Uh, somebody hit me from behind. Okay, and while we were fixing the back part of the car, the mechanic said, "Hey, you got some the front underneath your radiator." So I don't know how that happened, but he replaced the radiator in a few lines. And then a week or two later, I know the uh, I noticed the low. Cord 
didn't like Kmart. Okay. But I went back to the mechanic. Uh, he was fired. And another mechanic, he was fired. They no longer do mechanical work. So, with the low coolant, I, I was stuck in a... Uh, well, I was on a highway. I pulled over. And I put some water in there. Yeah. And okay, right, okay. So the low coolant light came on again a week or two later. And I put some antifreeze yeah. in the uh, coolant container. But I don't know if I put the right antifreeze. And it continues to show low coolant. And I check the tank is up, the radiator has enough. Am I asking for trouble? Well, I mean, I don't know if you're asking for trouble, but there, there's also in that car, there's a low coolant sensor. So there's a little sensor in that car, and... Uh, it is on oh, I the, find it. I, okay. Yeah, and you know what I what is probably happened is that low coolant sensor uh, has gone bad, or they broke it, or something happened when they when they were doing it. So you might want to think about you know disconnecting the sensor to test it to see what kind of to see what it's doing, and uh, you know you have to or just or just go ahead and replace it. Uh, you just you know drain down the radiator pull the sensor off um it is um it's got like a little um little leg that locks it into place and uh put a new one in and see if that see if that solves the problem you know where you said you have you know where everything's full and everything's where it's supposed to be uh the idea that the the low coolant sensor light is always on if you told me if you told me uh, uh, you know it was a long time ago um and it's been on for a long time, then I'd have a little concern. But the other thing is this sensor is very is very sensitive to oil contamination and things like that. So if they replace the sensor and, you know, got it dirty or something, that's even enough to cause cause it to act up. So I think I think I would be tempted to, you know, just maybe get a new sensor but you know as long as you're confident that the radiator levels full and the overflow bottles full then the sensor is probably just telling you you know telling you uh the wrong story so if that's the case like i said unless they broke unless they broke the sensor and you said you saw you know where the sensor is it's located right on the side of the radiator and it's uh yes okay yeah yeah and uh so you know maybe just maybe just uh you know, maybe just replace it. So, like, right where the radiator cap is, as I recall, it's right down just a little, you know, a little bit lower behind that, and just maybe think about replacing that sensor and solve the problem. Okay, can I give you another question? Sure. I have a car. Go ahead. Okay, I, got, I was the one who called you about a month ago or so about the 85 Pontiac Grand Am wagon. All right. But that was overheating. And I asked you if I had any more miles left. Well, what I did was I tried to, I thought it might have been the head gasket. Yep. I, uh, I went to a, a radiator guy, and he thought it might be the, the cap for the radiator. Okay. And I, uh, I tried about three different caps, and I, nobody seemed to have that particular model cap. But I found one cap, put it on, and the car had been running okay since. But I haven't ridden it very much. The other day I got a letter from the state. Uh, it had to be inspected by April, and I hadn't done it yet. But a letter said to me, uh, I'm driving illegally if I'm driving the car. This is something new to me on that, state of Rhode Island. Uh, I'm going to have it inspected on Monday. 
Okay. At 9.30. I already made plans for that. Now, have you heard about, you know, this before, putting a new radiator cap on and it seems to control just about, it doesn't overheat anymore. Well, what can happen if it's got the wrong radiator cap on or it's got a bad radiator cap on, what will happen is when the engine heats up and cools off, when it heats up, it, it forces coolant into the overflow tank, and when it cools off, it sucks the coolant back into the radiator. If the cap is bad, the coolant's only going to go one way, and when it tries to suck it back, it's actually going to collapse the radiator hose, so it's going to stop the circulation in the radiator until it sort of evens itself out. So maybe... You just had a bad radiator cap the whole time, uh, but usually the the telltale is if you notice if you if the engine's good and hot, you shut it off and you open up the hood, you notice that the radiator hose is like is almost a sucked close. You know you got a bad cap on the car. So that I mean it could be that it could be just that. Okay, that was the original cap from uh, the Ford eighty four. My father bought it. Uh, yeah. So, so I hope hopefully that's it. Uh, I like the car. Well, there you go. Get it, yeah, get it, get it inspected before you before you get a ticket. I know. All right. I will. All right. Thanks Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's go on to line two. Good morning. You're on the car doctor program. Hey there, John. Hey, hey there, Rick. How are you? Pretty good. Uh... Uh, saw the news, but this wasn't what I read in the original reach in the call, is that uh, there's a terrible motorcycle accident up in New Hampshire. Uh-oh. You weren't in it, were you? Oh, I no, heard about I this accident. Hampshire, yeah, I, I heard about this accident, like, too. It was awful. A pickup truck and, like, and six... three injured. Yeah, it was nuts. Wow. Yeah. So, I know, uh, I know when a, this was actually with a pickup, but, you know, when a car and a motorcycle come come in contact the motorcycles is, is comes in second place yeah it's it's uh, generally always the case uh but uh yeah. it's sort of that uh, look twice and save a life sort of thing uh yeah make sure you make sure you always look although i will yeah. say years ago and uh there was a there was a guy who owned a motorcycle shop kind of near me where i grew up on the south shore and he was out riding around and he might have been riding a little bit too fast and somebody rolled through a stop sign and he ran into the left front fender of the car that went through the stop sign and he went he went head over heels uh got back up off the ground and Honestly, I'm pretty sure the car suffered more damage than than the motorcycle did, but um but but you're absolutely right. In in, in every single case, uh there's there's no such thing as a good motorcycle crash. It's uh uh they they it's uh you know, you just don't have you don't have the protection. So yeah, you got to be you got to be super careful when you're out there both as a driver of a car and a rider of a motorcycle. Yeah, my wife almost hit one. She told, she mentioned today at the breakfast that she almost hit one yesterday because the guy ran a red light. <laughs> yeah, and she started so, to pull out and had to slam on the brakes. So I thought for a minute you were going to little, little miniature ones. I thought for a minute you were going to say your wife at breakfast said, "Rick, maybe it's time you sold your motorcycle." Yeah. Well, here's my question for you. All right. I remember years ago, you know, finding out that these guys would buy. Um, uh, so the remote for you know garage door openers uh-huh. and drive down a street and just keep clicking it to a garage open so they could rob the place. Um, how secure are these remote starts and stuff like that? You know, 
automatic, you know, remote lock and unlock for cars in that? How secure they, are they? They are generally really secure. It, it they they run they all run these rolling codes now, and the code changes all the time. But here's where here's where they don't always work, um, because when you push the button on the remote door opener, for instance, when you do it. Um, you can actually record the frequency. So if you had a fancy meter that could measure frequency, but as soon as you do it, it rolls to a different frequency afterwards. So there's a whole series of frequencies. So it's almost impossible to be able to, you know, unless you were standing right there and you saw it happen and you had something that could duplicate the same frequency, but there's no such thing as a universal one that you could just drive along and not like a universal remote control for a TV that if you hit the power button 7,000 times, you finally find the code for the TV. It doesn't work that way with uh, remote car starts and all that sort of stuff. But where you can run into a problem is on keyless starts, so the cars without keys at all, um, how they work, when you walk up to a car with a push-button starter, it recognizes the key from about... 10 or 15 feet away. So as you walk up to the car, it might turn the dome light on, but it recognizes that, oh, here's the here's the owner of the car with the key in his pocket, so the door unlocks and all that sort of stuff. What some clever electrical engineer thieves have learned is they have built antenna amplifiers that they put next to the car, and that amplifies the signal looking for the key. So if you parked in your house and you left your keys, I don't know, on your kitchen counter and your kitchen counter was 20 feet away from your car and somebody came along with an amplifier and the car would think the key was much closer than it really was and they could get in the car and drive it away. And a uh, an electrical engineer that I know of went to a surplus electronics store, spent about $100, built a box that he could fit in a backpack, and he actually started two or three cars that were uh, that were just sitting there, and the keys were within, you know, 25 feet of the car. So um, I guess if you were really concerned about, you know, what you should, you know, if you had that kind of car and somebody was going to, you were worried about somebody either getting into it or stealing it. And that's how they find out if it works. They just grab the door handle. And if the door opens, they know, they know the antenna magnified the signal enough. So it knew the key was nearby and then they get in and they could drive it away. But if you wanted to do that, I guess you would have to, uh, you would have to put your keys inside a Faraday cage. So, uh, which is a which is a thing that blocks all the electrical signals. And if you don't happen to have a Faraday cage, or, you know, sitting around your house, you could put your keys in your refrigerator. It would do the same. Well, um, I got one of those. Uh, I, I gave it to the, the one to each of the my the adult members of my family. One of those uh, wallets that you can put your credit cards in. Oh yeah. And you know, they, they don't scan, so I got a sort of a miniature Faraday cage for hey, uh, credit cards. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, I I. You know, I I don't I don't have one of those, and I don't have one of those cars with a push button start, so I don't really have to worry. So, uh, but well, yeah, I was for people, because yeah. my wife's got a you know you know remote start and had a, for her car, and that you know it's kind of like, well, oh, gee, how secure is it? <laughs> yeah, it, they're actually they're actually really pretty secure. Um, and the thing about a remote start, if somebody does, if somebody could figure out a way to start the car, well, you still can't drive it. 
you know, not with not, you know, you can't, you can't, you still need to restart it with the key or with the push button. So, well, I know in her car yeah. that uh, if I get in it, I could restart it, but I get in it, uh, and once I put it in the gear, if the key's not in the ignition, it, 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 it kills it, itself. It kills itself. Yeah, and the other the other problem is people that actually have the keyless entry with their cars, and this happens, uh, and they're trying to pass laws that actually say that. Um, Say that uh, you know cars have to shut off after a period of time to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning for people that forget to shut their cars off when they park in the garage. But um, the other thing that sometimes happens is uh, you uh, you go out and you start your car and you with the you know and you have the key the key remote in your pocket you don't think anything of it and it's one of these cars you with the push button start so you go out you start the car and then you run in the house and you. Uh, you know, maybe you take your jacket off because you're like, well, it's 65 degrees. I don't need to wear a jacket today. Your keys are in your jacket pocket. You drive away, and uh, even though the car might be dinging at you going, the key isn't in the car, you're not paying attention, and you drive away, and you go someplace, and all of a sudden you shut the car off, and you realize, oh, I can't restart it because the keys are home in my jacket pocket. Um, and then you either have to call, you know, phone a friend to say, hey, can you bring your keys, bring my keys to the Home Depot or wherever I am, and uh, you'd be surprised how often that happens. Oh yeah, yep. Hey Rick, be careful out there on the uh, on the Indian, okay? Oh yeah, I will. All it's right, easy, John. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I think we have another call lined up here. Good morning, you're on the Car Doctor program. Hello. Hey there. Hey there. This is John Paul. It is. Hi, this is Roland Barabee. Hey, Roland. I'm um, having a problem. I got a 2013 Ford Explorer Limited. It now has 68,000 miles on it. And uh, I bought it when it had 59,000 miles on it. When I bought the car, it had all brand new tires on it, and the brakes and rotors were all done over. Well, the last 2,000 miles, I've been getting a wobble feeling. And right, feel it in the seat. And in the accelerator pedal. All right. Not 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 in the steering. So I had okay. all the wheels balanced, rotated and balanced. Yeah. And there's no difference at all. Then I brought it to my mechanic, and he replaced the main drive shaft because mm. uh, he found one of the CV joints were tight. But that didn't make any difference. Mm-mm. So yesterday, he replaced the rear driver's side axle because it had excessive play in it. Okay. Okay, and I still got that wobble. And he checked the rear end for the uh, bearings and everything. They're all fine. So I don't know what to do now. <laughs> mm. What 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 kind of car was it again? A twenty thirteen Ford Explorer Limited. Mm. Mm. It's. I mean, if I didn't know better before you told me you rotated the tires, I would mm-hmm. say you had a tire with a slipped belt in it, where you get a, a wobble. Yeah, because when, 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 uh-huh. because, when they balance the tires, wouldn't they feel that? You would think so, but maybe not. Um, I mean, the new tire balance and equipment is pretty good, and it usually usually notes that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But right, when right, you right. say a wobble that you can feel in the seat, you can feel in the accelerator, yeah. um, right. that is just shaking back and forth like. Yeah, and that sounds just like a tire that's got, uh, one of the belts inside the tire has actually broken, and it slid a little to right. one side. What I would do right. if this came into uh, 
a shop that I was if I had a if I had a shop, I would put mm-hmm. the car on the lift and I would run it in gear and I would look at the tires all slowly spinning and look for one that looks like it's kicking back and forth a little bit. And that's going to that's going to tell me that you have that you have a tire and and like you said even though they rotated the tires and it didn't make any difference um and it, it you know a lot of times it won't it'll you'll feel it right. equally front and rear. So um that's that's where I you know that's where I'd be looking at, you know, is it is it possible you have, you know, you know, a bent axle flange, I suppose, but you would, but you would also see that doing the same thing. You would see that you would see the, right. the tire wobbling back when you describe it as a wobble. That to right. me is, that is kind of telling. If you said to me, oh, I'm out at 70 miles an hour, the thing shakes like crazy. Different story. Mm-hmm. But um, at what speed do you feel yeah. it? Do okay. you feel it at just like 10 or 15 miles an hour? No, um, it starts around 35, okay. around 55 miles an hour. Now, the thing is, is when you let off an accelerator, it seems to go away. When I press an accelerator, give it, a, oh. you know, it seems like it comes back again. So oh, over okay. 60 miles an hour, though, I don't have it. I don't have that problem over 60. So, so like, it, yeah, okay. Now I'm starting to change my opinion a little bit. So you, yeah. so that you know where you get it at. When you accelerate, and you said you get it when you accelerate, and it goes away right. when you take your foot off the gas, or it, the other way around. Yes, so, no. Yeah. When you take your foot off the gas, it seems to go away. How many but miles? When you accelerate on this? again, it, then you really then you start feeling it again. How many miles on this? Well, it has sixty-eight thousand miles on it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it had fifty-nine thousand. Now, when I bought it, it was fine. I didn't have a problem at all. It was it great? Um, hmm. Uh, what, what I'm planning on doing, I got a friend of mine who's got a, um, a 2013 Ford Edge, and his car runs nice and smooth. I was thinking of swapping his tires off and the wheels and all, and put it on my car, and try to eliminate all the tires and wheels. That's a that's a that's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. That's... So I assume that the the wheels on his car will fit. They're 18 inch, mine are 20 inch. But I, I still think that the uh, the the bolt pattern's the same. It should fit. Yeah, it should. It, yeah, that that sounds that sounds a that sounds about right. So yeah, I would I would try that. The idea on and off the gas though tells me mm-hmm. that you might be having the beginning of a a drive shaft problem. Okay, well the drive shaft was already replaced. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah. But that's why was, we did the drive. Well, that's why we did the drive shaft. And then we did the rear axle because of that, because yeah. under, under acceleration, yeah. you know, I was getting that wobble. Yeah. And the other drive shaft on the right side, passenger side, is nice and tight. And uh, he seems like he just he checked the bearings and everything; they were fine. They were he fine, drained yeah. the rear end, didn't find any metal pieces in the yeah. rear end. No, that would be yeah. I mean, that would be you would you would feel you would feel a lot of a clunk, and that and that you know the pinion bearing can give you a vibration on and off the gas. So a bad right. pinion bearing in the in the rear differential can certainly do that. But um, yeah. so when you're when you're on the gas, you kind of take take some of the slop out of it, and when you take your foot off the gas, it changes. So the pinion right. bearing the pinion bearing certainly can be something to look at. But just the way you described it from the very beginning, though, as a mm-hmm. wobble, makes yeah, me, right. makes me not suspicious. Not a vibration. Yeah, makes me suspicious of the tires more than anything else. So, yeah, well, you know, do, okay. you know, you know, spend the afternoon, swap the tires around, see what happens. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. 
Okay. Okay. Now, someone, someone mentioned uh, the torque converter. The torque converter will give you the torque converter will give you a shutter, so it will feel like you went over a series of uh, 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 not quite as pronounced as a speed bump, but it will feel like oh, yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, and it's not okay. that. That's uh, okay. yeah, that that's uh, that's the torque converter going in and out of lockup. Um, right. And that's it, that's going to be something that as soon as you tap the gas, it'll go away because it disconnects. So um, no, right. it's not it's not that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll change the tires then. All right. I, I can do this. All right. Let us okay. know how you work. Let us know how it works out, Roland. I will give you another. All call. right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I think we got another call on the line. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Hello, John. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> yeah. You know huh? that's different. Um, just listen to that last call, right? I remember a strange problem that somebody I knew had like that, and it was the harmonic balancer. A piece used to have rubber in there, and a piece of it came off a half, and it really threw vibration like crazy. You know, because where he's saying he's accelerating, and, and it don't sound like the wheels. What do you think uh, on that? Actually, actually, the harmonic balance is a, a, a possibility, and a good mm. way, not the safest way maybe, but a good way to always you know, look for that. You get going at whatever the speed was. He said he was getting the vibration between 35 and 60. A good way to mm -hmm. check that is you get going 35 to 60, you put the car in neutral and you shut the engine off. Right. And now all of a sudden the engine's not, not moving anymore. Uh, the, right. the, the rear end's still moving, the drive shaft's still moving, but the, but you know, you're just coasting and that's going to tell you, Oh wait, you know the vibration went away so yeah it's related to the engine it's not related to the differential it's not related to the drive shaft it's not related to the wheels so that's a right. that's a fairly easy way of course you got to remember that you know it's your your brakes aren't going to be as good and your steering's not going to be as good so you got to do it under the right circumstance to do it but that that is i i have seen i have seen harmonic balances cause vibrations i've seen uh, torque converters where they loosen up, but usually if, when it's a torque converter or a flywheel, you're going to be making you're going to be making a lot of noise at the same time, and right. it doesn't. And the same thing even with the pinion bearing, where he said he gets his vibration on and off the gas. Usually when the pinion bearing is um, is worn and loose like that, you'll get kind of a weird clunky sound when you take your foot on and off the gas. So um, you know, worst comes to worst, you've got to bring it to some place that actually has a vibration analysis tool. And back in the old days, it was a it w it was something called a reed tester. And basically, what it was, it looked like a it looked like a brick that was um, that had a bunch of very finely machined pins in it. And you'd you'd put it on the car and you'd run you'd run it till the vibration came up. And it would literally the pins would take a certain shape and you'd compare the shape and that would give you the oscillations of where the vibration happened. And you you'd compare it to a chart. Now they do it all electronically. So yeah, somebody with a vibration analysis tool could at least tell you what level of vibration it is. And when you figure out where right, the, yeah. the level is, then you can kind of go, oh, it this is wheel and tire. This is drivetrain. This is something else. But I don't, I'm just the mm. way he just the way he said wobble made yeah. me, made me go. Yeah, what makes sure. a wobble? You know, a wheel right. falling off makes a wobble. You know, that's right. that's a wobble. Um, right. Uh, and a harmonic balancer can make an engine vibration that can change. You're absolutely right. It can it can change when you're 
when you're uh, when you're looking at different things. So you know, it's it's certainly it's certainly worth looking at. Make sure it's yeah. everything's bolted on where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. Tell them to let us know. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I want to know. Interesting one. I want. I want to know. I'm always curious. Yeah, cause, you know, uh, the other guy mentioned about that motorcycle accident up in New Hampshire. As a matter of fact, I was just up there on my motorcycle a few days ago riding around. It was nice. But what what happened is a guy with trailering, a big trailer, went out of control. And I just think oh. all these motorcycles were in one lane, and it just came sideways on them and Ooh. just wiped seven of them dead. And a couple of and the, tra- the trailers on the side of the road on fire. But one thing I noticed on the pitches... This trailer to me looked like it was forty feet uh, forty feet long, and it was a pickup trailering it. And I mean, that's just physically not to me, you know, right? What do you think? I mean, a pickup truck. Uh, okay. You have to see the news sometimes, and you see this really long bed trail, thirty thirty five feet, you know, long forty. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's long. And yeah. you could see how easy, and he came right in their lane and just wiped them yeah. all out. Yeah, I, really I, really I, I didn't, see, I haven't seen the story, so, uh, but yeah, I know, big. I know I was, it, it really, you can tow a great big trailer with a pickup truck with the right mm-hmm. trailer hitch, the right suspension, and the right brakes. But if you don't right. have it all set up just right, I, I remember driving up to New Hampshire, and there was a, uh, there was a, 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 a I'll, I'll say a younger couple, but you know this was 25 years ago, right. so they were probably they were you know they were probably not that young. But um, they but they had a new Ford Explorer and they had a new boat, and uh, you could tell the boat was brand new. It didn't even look like it'd been in the water yet. The Explorer looked brand new. They got going about 45 or 50 miles an hour. When they got up to 60, the trailer the boat trailer started to sway. Uh, yeah. They'd slow back down, it would settle back down. They'd speed back up, it would start to sway. And at one point, it swayed so much, it took it it forced all of them off the road, and they ended up they ended up in the median strip. The trailer was on its side. Fortunately, the Explorer oh. was still straight up and down. It bent the it bent the uh, uh, receiver and everything on the trailer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, the, you know, who knows what kind of shape the boat was in. Fortunately, the people were okay, but it was, uh, it was one of those cases where the trailer just caused, you know, it was the, it was a tail wagging the dog sort of thing, you know, mm, and, yeah. and it caused, and it caused the truck to lose control. And maybe this was some of that. Maybe it was somebody who, uh, you know, got tired and they swerved into the lane and didn't notice it. But yeah, if you're, if you're towing a great big long trailer like that, you, you got to be paying a lot of attention. And if you don't have, the, yeah, if you don't have the rear suspension set up right, if you don't have the trailer brake set up right, you don't have the trailer hitch, you know, especially if it's a, if it's a, if it's a load, you know, one of those trailer hitches that can, it has the extra mm. bars on it that, distri- you know, load distributing hitch. Yeah. You don't have all those pieces working just right. Uh, you, right. Yeah, you're, it's a, it's the trailer was even empty. I mean, there wasn't yeah. anything yeah. on it. You know, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, so. it's, yeah. It sounds like sounds like it just this swayed a, back and forth, swayed back and forth, or else the guy was just asleep at the wheel. Who knows what I, happened? It, it almost sounded like somebody saw him. He just went in the wrong lane and then tried to pull back. Yep. And as he swung, it seems to me back in his lane, the trailer came around, and it was almost yep. like it was just these guys yep. just had no chance. Oof. Just Oof. R- right. Right into it. That's what it seems like from what I'm hearing. But it, yeah, oh my, it, it's really oh bad, really. Yeah. Yeah. They shut yeah. down the road up there. It's been shut down all, you know, still till, till now. 
Wow. Really serious accident. Ooh. Yeah, one of the worst around. Yeah, yeah I know that because I know I'm on my motor, and if I'm ever coming up and there's a trailer, I never stay in its vicinity. I pass it, go around it, anything. I don't care if it's a boat, this or that. Something can fly off of it. You know, I try to yeah. stay away from them, you know, but it's just uh, yeah. a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyways. Well, All right. Have a good week. All right. Yeah, take, right, yeah, yeah we got we to take a break, and we'll let's try to get, right. we'll try to go in a different direction. All right. Yeah, exactly. Care. Sorry yeah. about All that. Right. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030 is our phone number. If you want to give us a call, we now have lines open. 617-770-3030. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the car that got me around last week and that's the new jeep envision why don't we take that break we'll be right back And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Before we get to John, I saw I ripped an ad out of the paper. That says if you're over 50, and I am, and driving at night, nightlife, night driving glasses may save your life too. And it says night driving is top cause of car accidents. Hate the word accident, by the way. Your ability to perceive and judge distance is severely impaired at night. Did you know how to protect it? it? says National Safety Council says nighttime, the most dangerous time to drive. Well, that is true. The new technology making headlights brighter and more blinding than ever is a key contributor. Um, I, You know, headlights aren't brighter. They look whiter sometimes, they're, but they're not actually brighter. In fact, most cars, when their low beam lights are on, uh, if you're driving at more than 45 miles an hour, you can't actually see far enough ahead to see where you're going. Um, but this was an ad, and it said, uh, you know, nightlife, uh, you know, comes in two styles. They run anywhere from, I don't know, 99 to $49. Uh, uh, and I don't know. I've talked to people that have tried these kind of glasses before. Some people say they're great. Some people say they don't. I talked to an optometrist about them, and he said, there's no reason they should work because you're just shading your eyes from light. So it's actually making your eyes work harder. But on the other hand, he said to me, if it seems to work for you, use them. So uh, I don't know if I'd spend 49 to $99, whatever it said in that ad. But I, I, I'm just always, you know, I'm always skeptical about ads when I see them. And, um, you know, big print giveth, little print taketh away sort of thing. Let's talk to John. Good morning, John. Good morning. John. Good morning. Oh, there you are. Uh, okay. Good. I uh, got a question sure. on an 11 Honda CRV right. with uh, 19,000 miles on it, eight years old. Should I be concerned on any fluid changes? And if so, which one would be first? Have you done anything? No. No? No. Just no. only oil changes and the filter and, you know. 
but uh, you know the regular uh, thing where you go in for it, nothing yeah, extra. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would want to look at look at the coolant to see how it's doing. You know, it's been in there long enough now that um, you know when I, when Junior was on the show at the beginning, he kind of alluded to um, you know what happens to coolant as it starts to get acidic, and it actually makes electricity. And if you took a if you took a really sensitive voltmeter and you stuck one end of the voltmeter in the coolant and the other end and grounded it to something metal, you would on old coolant you could actually read electricity and that and that electricity actually starts to eat up the inside of the engine and the radiator and all of that. So I would want to flush out the coolant. I would want to get I would I would want to take care of that. That would be the first thing that I would want to do. And the other thing that's kind of specific with Honda CRVs is the rear differential fluid in these cars um, can start to break down over time. And even though you don't have many miles on it, uh, sometimes what happens with some of these cars is that as you're going around a corner, you might hear kind of a clicking weird noise coming from the back of the car. And that's just a, that's an issue with the, with the rear differential fluid. So, but other than that, I don't know that I would be, you know, I'd be too worried about, you know, anything else, you know, obviously you've, you've taken care of the, you know, the, the engine, you know, the engine oil and all of that. And that's good. But like I said, the one, the one that would, the the one that would worry me the most and say for instance you said to me you know what i think it's time for me to uh you know sell this car um we don't use it enough anymore and you said to me hey john you want to buy my car from me and i'd go yeah i'd love to have a nice little honda crv with only twenty thousand miles on it if i got it the first thing i would do is i would change the i would change the engine coolant I would probably change that rear differential fluid, and I would at least give the transmission fluid a look. I wouldn't be that concerned about it. I'd give the power steering fluid a look. I wouldn't be that concerned about it. If the AC was working the way it should, I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, and other than that, I'd just, I'd, you know, I'd want to pull the wheels and tires and look at all the brakes and, you know, see what kind of shape the tires are in. Even though the tires, you know, they're, they're original to the car, too. They are. They're beginning to dry rot a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Not much, but yeah. just a so, little. You know, so again, if it was, if I was going to, if I was going to, you know, have your car, I would want to look it over and, you know, I'd probably drive it more. And so I'd probably put a set of tires on it just because of the age, you know, eight years, eight year old tires. But other than that, yeah. I don't think I wouldn't do much more than, you know, change the coolant, maybe yeah. the, dif- maybe the differential fluid. Yeah. Because some say the time is just as important as the mileage. But Well, what happens is anything that's oily can pick up moisture. And the moisture is the thing that the moisture is the thing that is a killer for stuff. So but still power steering power steering you know, if it if you if you if you pulled out the power steering and looked at it and it was muddy looking, yeah, I'd want to flush it out and yeah. put fresh power power steering fluid yeah. in there. Same thing if I pulled the transmission dipstick and looked at it and said, uh, but you know, honestly, if the transmission fluid's full and it looks in reasonably good shape, it's a lifetime fill. I wouldn't worry about it. And yeah. Honda requires a very specific kind of their own transmission fluids, so that's really all you know. That's really all I'd worry about. But the coolant, yeah. the coolant is the one thing that would be the okay. the thing that concerns me, only because age can age can be a little bit of an issue with that. Yeah. So I would I would want to take care of that, and that's a good excuse. And even though radiator hoses and heater hoses last 
you know, 10 and 15 years now, you know, it used to be they only lasted two or three or four years. Yeah. Um, I would, I would still, you know, give the hoses a good look and then I'd, I'd drive it another eight years. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks All very right. much for that All right. information. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye, John. 617-770-3030, Uh A car that got me around a little bit last week was the Buick Envision. The Envision is a compact five-passenger luxury SUV. comes in five trim levels. It can be powered by a choice of two engines. Uh, the standard engine is 197 horsepower, 2.5 liter, and an optional 252 horsepower, 2 liter. The Envision can be ordered in front or all-wheel drive. Our road test was the Envision Premium 2 version with all-wheel drive. The interior of the Envision has a feel of more of a Lexus than a Buick. Not the most luxurious, but still really quite nice. The front seats are wide, spacious, generally supportive, although I would have preferred a little more under-thigh support, support, especially on long drives. Um, it did have a slide-out thing to give you a little bit more, but it still wasn't quite enough. The controls are largely easy to use, simple buttons and knobs, climate control. Envision has a large display screen, a couple of 12-volt and USB power points, as well as smartphone connections for Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Our Envision also had a large sunroof that added to the airiness of the cabin. The rear seating area offered a decent head and leg room and can slide just to get a little bit more space with the rear seats up. The Envision had about... 27 cubic feet of cargo space folding the down expands to 57 cubic feet so pretty roomy safety's addressed with everything 360 degree camera automatic emergency braking where the envision exceeds is overall ride uh uh, it delivers a nice, comfortable ride, soaks up bumps and brakes in the road with ease. Handling is uh, pretty good, minimal body lean. Performance from the uh, 252 horsepower engine is pretty good. Uh, seems nicely matched with the weight and size. Fuel economy, my test drive, averages somewhat mediocre, 23 miles per gallon. The Envision's a good mix of good and ordinary in a highly competitive field of luxury SUVs. There are some things the Envision does well. The ride is good. The seats are generally pretty comfortable. The performance from the turbocharged engine is good. The problem is that overall, the Envision uh, as a complete package is just sort of average. It starts off around 31,000, can go all the way up to f- almost 50,000. Uh, interestingly, pretty much the entire vehicle is made in China. It's made in China, it's assembled in China. The only thing in the Buick that is not Chinese is the engine, so uh, which is made in the United States. So, uh, so it's a Chinese Buick. Um, kind of a surprise. Um, uh, Dennis, remind me where we're going. I forgot. We have Paul on the line. Okay. Let's talk to Paul. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Fine. I, I don't know whether you, you see this uh, on, on your Facebook page or not, but it, it, um, there's a, a marketplace, and, and they have a whole range of, of vehicles that are really enticing sometimes. Um, and... There seems to be a whole fleet now of uh, 2002 Musta- uh, 2002 Thunderbirds that that keep showing up more than than any other uh, vehicle. Um, some are, I mean, you can mm. you can get a 1947 uh, Cadillac Fleetwood on one of them, yeah. I think, which yeah. is interesting. Um, but uh, is there any reason why all of a sudden there are just so many uh, 2002 uh, uh, Thunderbirds? Thunderbirds. No, yeah. I think, you know, I think one of the things with the Thunderbird was everybody thought it was going to be collectible. And people, yeah. you know, people bought them, held on to them. They were actually pretty nice cars. I, I remember years ago I was road testing one, and I stopped for gas, and I was 
forget. I I might have been down all, almost in Provincetown or something. Stopped for gas, and a uh, couple in a Jaguar pulled up behind me. And uh, the woman got out of the car to stretch a little bit, and she looked at the Thunderbird, and then she looked at the Jaguar, and she said, oh, that's a nice-looking car. And I said, well, it's actually built. They actually share a lot of components between your Jaguar and this Thunderbird. And I said, uh, and and at the time, I don't remember how much the car cost, $35,000 or something. And she looked at her, I guess her husband, and said, how much did you pay for this Jaguar? And he's like, oh, about 70-something. <laughs> and she goes, I like that car better. And um, so it was sort of, it was sort of a kind of funny, funny thing. But I think a lot of people bought them with the idea that they would be, they would be a truly a recreation of a 55 Thunderbird and have that kind of collectability. And they never really did. Um, they're, they're, they're a nice car. Um, uh, but it was never, it was, it's a Boulevard cruiser. It's a, it, it wasn't a performance car. It, it never really, it never really satisfied a lot of needs other than it was, you know, what's old is new again sort of thing when it came out. So I think people just sat on them long enough. They're getting tired of them and maybe decided to put them up for sale. Maybe. I mean, Thunderbird was never really a performance car compared to uh, no. a Corvette. Corvette, I, I mean, no. it's always, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, uh, matter of fact, someone had one, I think a pale yellow, probably had a convertible or, or a hardtop combination uh, replacement, and they they threw white wall tires on it. It made total difference mm. in, in the look of that car. Someday white walls may come back. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was it was it was kind of out of my price range. I think they wanted like nineteen thousand for it, mm. and uh, well, that was that was a bit yeah. uh, much. Face, I mean, but, face, um, Facebook Marketplace is weirdly addicting. Uh, you can you know I I look at Facebook Marketplace just because and. Um, you know, I look at stuff and like, you know, someday I might want to buy a boat. Someday I might want to buy this someday. And I, and I just, I, I waste an awful lot of time. It's the modern, (laughs) it's the modern equivalent of the one advertiser magazine. You know, that I used to to get the one advertiser magazine when I had no intention of buying anything just to look and see what was for sale. And I kind of do the same thing (laughs) with Facebook marketplace. I will say I had an old snowblower that didn't run. And uh, uh, didn't run, and I put it on Facebook Marketplace, and I just said, snowblower, you know, it doesn't run anymore. It actually had a bad valve in it, and I just said free. And within, I put it on Facebook Marketplace at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday, and by 8.35 I had to take it back down because I got so many uh, text messages that people wanted to come and get it. So, uh, wow. uh, so I mean, it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty amazing platform. But uh, yesterday I was doing a video with some people at AAA, and in the background was a pretty beat up looking Honda Accord that our battery guys use for um, uh, doing testing. And uh, in pictures, it looked beautiful, but in reality, yeah. it didn't look so good. So you know, photography can photography can. Uh, Make things make things that are not so good look good sometimes. So I always warn people yeah. when you see the stuff for sale, be a little careful. But yeah, I don't have any real real thoughts on the on the O2 yeah. uh, Thunderbird other than I think people sat on them long enough and said, well, you know what, this thing's going to be worth what it's going to be worth, and unless I keep it another twenty years, maybe it's time to maybe it's time yeah. to well, you know send it away. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you got a spare ninety five thousand dollars, I'm looking at a 1954 Cadillac Eldorado convertible. Um, that, you know, if Cadillacs look like that today, 
uh, you couldn't keep them in, in, in stock. This thing is just black convertible with red, I think, red leather interior. Interior, it thing is uh, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. For $95,000. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, for, I, I, I guess, you know, showing my age and uh, uh, something, I, for $95,000, it should have two bedrooms and two baths. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I figure I try to divide that by the number of seats in the car. It's, yeah. it's way out of my it's, price range. It's still, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. All right, Paul, take well, care uh, now. Okay, I was just, yeah. Yeah. Ahead, All right. Talk. Always good to talk uh, to you. It Take is care. addictive, though. The marketplace yeah. is real addictive. It is. Uh, it is. But they haven't captured, captured me yet. So. All right. <laughs> Thank All you right. very Take much. Care. Have yep. a good bye week. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Did I hear Matt O'Donnell's in the station? I am. Hello. How hey, are you, John. Matthew. How are you? So you got you got the call today to fill in for Sully? I did, yeah. He's got a couple of weeks off, and uh, so it's myself this weekend and uh, Bobby Brooks next Saturday. Wow! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so so you're you're doing you're doing a double shift today, huh? Well, not a double. I'll be on till two thirty, and then uh, Billy Bailey comes. Oh, in. okay. Bailey Kaylee. All right. So, so a little so, different. Uh, like to shake uh, it up once in a while. There, there, there you go. So you got any special plans for the? Uh, Irish listening audience coming up? Well, we do have uh, Richard Wells coming in at uh, 2 o'clock. He's going to be talking about the uh, Milton Music Festival that gets underway today at uh, Governor Hutchinson's Field. It gets underway at 4 o'clock. And then tomorrow uh, and today they have uh, Booty Vortex, and uh, that's uh, funk uh, music. And they also have uh, Mark Morris and the Cartoons and uh, Fireworks coming up uh, right around 10 o'clock. And then tomorrow's Celtic Sunday. It's all Irish music and uh, Richard is going to fill us in and all the goings on it's going to be a blast and it's all free you can't beat that you can't you can't be, you can't beat that price and, and and it's uh you know and this is this is the time there there is uh um, there was a little bit of Irish music. Seems like it's playing all up and down, all up and down the east coast of Massachusetts. Uh, every every time I every time I look around, it's it seems like there's a little bit here and a little bit there, and either stuff coming up in the in the future down in Marshfield. There's right. all kinds yeah. all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Well, there's there's so many fantastic bands and uh, the, the local bands, and uh, there's so many great causes too that the uh, local bands play for. Uh, a lot of charity events that are going on. And, um, you know, they're, they're the first to jump out there and, uh, you know, offer uh, their services. And so you do get a lot of events going on with Irish bands, and uh, they're all very worthy. And it's great. You know, it gives people uh, so many things to uh, look forward to and to attend. And uh, that includes the festival tomorrow in Milton and you mentioned Marshfield. Just mm-hmm. a lot of things going on. And and it's kind of, it's kind of funny, too, that, um, you know, you know everybody knows you know Irish Night Fifty. You know it's a station's been around for for fifty some odd years, and 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 even though even though there's you know I guess if you go back to my grandmother, she was Irish, but I never was much of an Irish music listener. <laughs> but um, Irish music has crossed over a little bit now, kind of yeah. like 
you know, when country western became country, became kind of a little bit more crossover country, uh, there's a contemporary Irish music now that seems to appeal to a lot wider audience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, American country music actually came from Irish music. And um, country music in Ireland is just huge. And uh, But you're right. You do see a lot of um, the Irish bands uh, in Ireland, uh, from Ireland, uh, just reaching a mass appeal here in the U.S. and uh, worldwide. And um, it it's really is a testament. I mean, for such a small island, the talent that comes uh, from Ireland and the influence it has on uh, music around the world is, is incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I Years and years ago, probably 30-some-odd years ago, I, I knew uh, uh, an Irish singer, uh, uh, Michael Malcolm. He actually owns a big restaurant down the Cape now. Mm-hmm. But um, he used to, on St. Patrick's Day, he used to go to Bermuda and yeah. play Irish music at the uh, at the Hogpenny Pub in Bermuda. And I, and I, I said to him one day... Bermuda for St. Patrick's Day. He says, "You have no idea." He said, "He said the uh, the yeah. the appeal of Irish music all around the world is amazing." And I said, "But it's such a little place. How did all these people get all over the world and and everybody start to appreciate the music?" And I think that's what that's what makes. Uh, you know, WROL and, you know, Irish 950, and people can listen to listen to you all around the world on yeah, the app. You know, they cool. go to WROLradio.com. Pretty amazing stuff. It really is. And, you know, I have a friend, uh, Billy Hardy, and uh, he plays from the Cape, uh, the Cape Cod Fiddlers, and he also plays with uh, Frank Ryan. And uh, they were in New Zealand for a month. They did a gig over there, and I was thinking, New Zealand? And he says, you wouldn't believe, you know, where, where we go. Uh, he says the, the, you know, the out reach of Irish music really does go worldwide. It's incredible and it's great stuff. I mean, it's fun music. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And it's, and for me, I'm, I'm a person who likes storytelling music and yeah. um, the Irish entertainers tell the best stories. Absolutely. No doubt yeah. about that, John. <laughs> it really is. Hey, we got to get going. The very best in Irish music coming up right here on AM 950 WROL. Our buddy Matt is filling in for Sully today, uh, taking a little bit of time off, uh, a little rest and recreation for our buddy Professor Paul Sullivan. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.